This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Happy Father's Day, New Song Church. How are you doing this morning? Okay. Okay, I know you got more energy than that because I just heard it during worship. So come on, how are you doing this morning? You doing good? Good. Glad to have you with us. Uh, I was praying this week on Monday, and um, as I was praying, I was, I was praying over this weekend, I was praying over the service, I was praying over Father's Day, and God kind of dropped this, this phrase into my heart. He, he said, fathers are essential personnel. And so I took that information, and I began to, begin to write the intro of this message, and, uh, and then I came into church on Wednesday. I had been at home. I hadn't been in the office because Sarah and, and my son Gus were on the mission trip, so I was at home with the girls. I'm surrounded by girls. I got two French bulldogs at the house at this time. I got two girls at the house. I'm surrounded by women, right? And uh, so I hadn't been in. I came on Wednesday, and when I walk in, I, I see out there our, our photo set up. It says, Dad's Essential Dad's on it. Now, just so you know, that wasn't planned. That wasn't set up. Uh, that was our art department. That was Afton hearing from the Holy Spirit and me hearing from the Holy Spirit. And here's the point behind both of that. Here's what I want you to see is, fathers, you are essential. You are essential personnel. And we're living in a day and age where fatherhood is not looked at like it once was. In fact, um, I read this week that more than half the population, more than half the population see fathers as non-essential and replaceable. And we see this in the world. You know, you, you, it doesn't take very long to turn on the TV and look at media today and see how fathers are portrayed. They're normally portrayed in TV like these bumbling, overweight idiots who have no idea what's going on, and it's just better that they get out of the way. But the truth is fathers are essential, and the role of fatherhood is important. And, and in a society, when that role is not, is not there, that society hurts, and it, it doesn't flourish. Uh, in fact, statistics tell us that 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with violent anger disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent chemical abuse patients in drug treatment centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison are from fatherless homes. When fathers are absent, either they're just out of the picture or uh, they just choose to not fulfill their role. And let me just say this too to you fathers. You just being in the house doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the role. When you're not engaging with your family and being the leader you're called to be, and just so you know, you are a spiritual leader in your home. That's not something you just hand over to your wife. When you don't take up that role, it does damage. In fact, the statistics for a lot of the problems in the world are, are also true for families where there's a father that's present in the home, but he's absent. In other words, he's so caught up in, biz, in, in the busyness of work and, and all that that he's still absent even though he's there. So here's what I want you to see. Fathers are essential. And what we need in this generation is we need godly men who are fathers to rise up and step into the role anointed by the Holy Spirit to be who God's called them to be. Somebody say amen. Amen. So if you are a father in the house today, a father, a grandfather, a stepfather, whatever your role is, if you're that father, would you go ahead and do a, and stand up with me, church? And let's, let's celebrate these guys. Come on, give them a hand. Yes, grateful for godly fathers. Stay standing. We're going to pray over you. Stay standing, fathers. Would you extend your hand towards these fathers or place your hand on these fathers? Let's pray for them. Lord, we thank you for these men of God who, are in the, who, who stand in this role, Lord. I'm reminded, God, that you said that we're to relate to you as a father. And I, I know as a pastor, I've met so many people who struggle to relate to Father God because they, they had a, a broken relationship with a father here on the earth. But Lord, we, we, we get to stand in this role of exemplifying the love of God. We know we can't do it perfectly. And we know we can't do it alone. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to strengthen us. I pray that you would anoint every 
man standing in this room right now to be the father you've called them to be. Anoint them with the words to say. Give them vision to rise up and be bold and be strong and be who it is you've called them to be in this generation, in this time. We need godly fathers. So Lord, anoint these men to be the fathers you've called them to be. And I pray for men in this room who want to be fathers. I pray that you would help them to develop and grow and become who it is you called them to be. I pray that they would come together with their spouse, their wife, and they would conceive seed and that they will stand. We, th we thank you that, Lord, you call those things which be not as though they are. So we thank you that next year there will be men standing who are standing in faith for a child right now, Lord God. Thank you for this. We praise you for it. We give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, give them another hand. Give these fathers a hand. There's, uh, like they said, there's a photo booth out there. Make sure you get your picture taken. I know, guys, you don't really like that, but your wife needs to write a post, okay? <laughs> and um, there's also coffee out there for those of you that our team was thinking about that like coffee. And for those of you who are like me, you can go grab a creamer and enjoy that today. If you got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11, Genesis chapter 6. Get out your notes. Get ready to take good notes this morning. We're, talking, we're going to talk today and look at this, this character in Scripture named Noah, which is interesting because Noah was a man of God who was a father who did some things by faith that led to his family being saved. Uh, how fitting is that, that that's what we're looking at today? This, this great patriarch of the Bible who was a father that I think there's going to, some things we can learn from him today that will help us to be who it is we're called to be, whether we're a father, a mother, a student, wherever you find yourself today, there's some great lessons here in his story. When I was 25 years old, which is wild, this was 18 years ago, 18 years ago, crazy. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was making a decision to really follow the Lord like never before. I'd grown up in church. I'd grown up around the things of God, but I was deciding like, I knew that I needed to take my relationship with God more seriously. I had, my parents were ministers and pastors and I'd kind of tried to inherit my walk with God. And just so you know, that's not how it works. You can't do that. Everyone has to make a decision. And so I was making a decision to really choose to follow God myself. And I knew from my time growing up in church that in order to, to do this, I needed to get into the word. And so I started really reading the Bible uh, myself for kind of the first time in my life, really like digging into it. I had this little commentary within my Bible and I, I, I would read this Bible and it was, it was awesome. Like I, I, so what I decided was I'd heard people talk about, you know, when you start to read the Bible, like start in the book of John and start with Jesus. But I, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to start in the book of Genesis, to start in the beginning and to kind of work my way through, through scripture. And so I, I jump into Genesis, my little commentary and I'm reading and it's, it's, it's just fascinating to me. Like I'm, I'm being blown away by what I'm finding because what I'm finding is there's a lot of stuff that I wasn't told as a child and as a student growing up in church. It's kind of like this. You guys ever heard of VidAngel before? Yeah. VidAngel, it's like this program you can get on your TV and, uh, and through it, you can kind of like edit the TV that you watch. You can edit the movies, you can put in your, your settings and stuff, and it'll take out the cuss words, and it'll take out, you know, certain themes, and it will, it will remove, like, nudity and all this stuff. And so you get the vid angel, like, the cleaned up version of, of the movie. And that's kind of what I had experienced growing up in children's church. See, in children's church, we, we teach kids the word, but we don't get into everything. Because... Because there's some stuff in, in the Bible that sometimes it's like, it's going to lead to some interesting conversations on the way home, right? So there's certain things that we didn't talk about. And so I, the way I kind of relate to it is it's like, I kind of had the coloring page version of some of these stories. Like, like for example, Noah, right? Here, here's the version of Noah that I kind of understood. The coloring page version where like the boat is like, you know, it's a cute little tugboat sized boat there. And it looks like it's been freshly Windexed and clean and Noah... Noah's got an interesting look. Like he looks like he's kind of wondering what that elephant's up to, but he's pretty happy, content. All the animals look happy. You know, they, the, you got the giraffe up there with his head popping out. That seems to be on the coloring page most of the time. And then there's a bird with no eye. I don't know what that's all about, but anyways. <laughs> but this was my version of, of the story of Noah. But now I'm reading it and I'm discovering some stuff. Like, like you guys may not know this, but after Noah gets off the ark, he plants a vineyard. He, he grows some grapes, he turns them into wine, and then he gets drunk on this wine and ends up naked in his tent with his kids making fun of him. It's like the Florida man story of the Bible. It's like the most redneck story 
in the Bible. And I say that wearing a Bigfoot shirt today, which is interesting. But they don't, they don't tell you that in children's church. Brother Jim didn't tell me that story in children's church. And I certainly did not get a coloring page about that. I was thinking this week, in fact, I actually looked this up because I was like, I wonder if anyone's ever done like the unfiltered coloring book of the Bible. But they haven't, but they haven't. But that'd be interesting, like this story, like what, you know, a little black bar on Noah there to kind of hide what shouldn't be seen. A naked father. Or, or can you imagine picking up your kids and they've just heard this story been taught? What'd you learn about kids? We learned don't get drunk on your own stash or you might end up naked in a tent. Here's my point. I'm going somewhere. Here's my point. Sometimes we don't know it all. There's more to the story, right? And that's what I want to talk about today because there's more to this story of Noah than maybe what you know. Maybe you're like me. You've got the coloring page version or somewhere in between or you've got the Disney version or the, the Russell Crowe version. I don't know what version of the Noah's Ark story you may have, but I want you to know there's more to this story. And what we see in this story is this, this man who was not perfect because nobody's perfect, but he was willing to walk by faith. He was willing to put his faith and his trust in God. And, and what we do is we look at Hebrews 11. What we're doing is we're looking at these stories because what we see in these stories, we see these people who are willing to stand in faith. Instead of shrinking back in fear, they rose up in faith and God was able to use them in amazing ways. And we look back at these stories because if they could do what they could do with the limited information and the limited connection that they had with God, how much more can we do today with the new covenant we have in Christ Jesus? How much more can we today on this side of the cross with the Holy Spirit enabling us and helping us and strengthening us to do what we're called to do? So that's why we're looking at these stories in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you missed last week, I wanna encourage you, make sure you go back and listen to that message. I laid a lot of foundation for where we're gonna go throughout the rest of, of this series, talking about what faith is, how faith works, why faith, and even looking at what Jesus fully accomplished so we can have our faith in, in the real Jesus and what he's called to do in our life. So Hebrews chapter 11, we're gonna start in verse one, kind of recap a little bit here as we jump, and then we'll jump into verse seven where it talks about Noah. Verse one says this, now faith, and if you're here last week, remember I said faith is trust, right? That's what faith is. It's the most simple definition of faith is it's trust. And it's more than just like, believing on like a knowledge level in what God says, believing his word, but actually believing in it to the point that we're moved by it, that we have faith and that faith moves us to action. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen for by it, by faith, the elders, that's the people in scripture that we look at their life. We look at their stories, the Hebrews 11 people, these elders, these people that went before us obtained a good testimony. In other words, the stories that we read about in scripture where people did great things, they did those great things by faith in God. It says this in verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now that means more than just that God created the worlds and the cosmos and the planets and all that stuff by, by his words. It actually is speaking to that word, uh, worlds there is this Greek word ion. It means specific spans of time. In other words, God created your lifetime, your span of time, your world, that was framed by the word of God. Look at the person beside you and say, you've been framed. You've been framed. God framed your life by his word, so that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. So we talked about last week that there is an invisible realm that God operates from that created this realm, and by faith what we're able to do is we're able to reach into that realm and pull from that realm by faith and by the grace of God through faith, we're able to pull realities into this realm by faith. And so faith is, is essential, it's important. It says this in verse seven, by faith, Noah. So what we're going to read about in the next few verses here is based on his faith in God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved, notice there's action, he moved with godly fear, it means reverence, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir to righteousness, which is according to faith. So what we're about to read here or what we just read here is, is what Noah did by faith. And what I want to do today is I want to take you on this little journey to look at the faith of Noah, to see what, how his, his life embodied faith, what he was able to do. And, and I think there's a call of God for who we're called to be, what we're called to do. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. 
First thing we see in the life of Noah is Noah was different. Noah was different. Noah was different than the world he was living in. He was living a different way. It says this in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 6. This is where we, we see the account of Noah. It says that right there. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Someone say, he was righteous. He was righteous. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was a righteous man. In other words, he, he was living a life with his aim was to please God. And so he, because of that, he was able to walk with God. He was a man of righteousness. He, he was a man who was fighting for spiritual integrity. He was fighting for a close connection with God. He wasn't perfect because nobody is. But he was pursuing God with his life. And he was doing this in a world where no one else was doing this. In fact, it says this in verse 5 of Genesis 6, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. So the Lord was sorry that he made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So Noah was, not, was walking with God when nobody else was. Noah was the guy that was the exception to the rule. He was, he was walking to the beat of, of the godly drum when no one else was. He was not just going along with the, the trends of the day. He was not just going with the flow. Just because everybody else was, say, was talking this way, he wasn't talking that way. Just because everyone else was living this way, he wasn't living this way. He was bucking the system and living a different way. Noah was different. He lived to please God. And if you're following the Lord this morning, you need to understand something. If you're writing notes this morning, taking notes this morning, write this down. This is big. If you're going to walk by faith, get comfortable with uncomfortable. If you're going to walk by faith, you better get comfortable with uncomfortable because you're called to be different. You're called to stand out in this world. You're called to look different. The world should look at you and go, something's different about you. The world should look at your life and say, there, there's something on you that's not like everybody else. You're not just going with the flow like everybody else. There's something different. First Peter 2.9 says this. It says, talking to believers, you are a chosen generation. You're chosen by God. Did you know that? If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you're a part of the chosen generation of God. You're part of the company of God's redeemed. It says you're a royal priesthood. Now, that, that means the, the priesthood were the people who did the work of the church. They did the work of the kingdom of God in the world. And, and listen, this isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for people who stand up here or the people that, that work at the church. This is for everybody. You're a part of this. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the royal priesthood. You're a part of the people that are supposed to do the work of the kingdom of God. You are a holy nation. That means you're set apart. You're not like everyone else. You're, you're utterly unique. It goes on to say this. You're a peculiar people. You're different. That's what that tells us. Why? Look at this. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Noah was different. And we're called to be different in this generation. We're called to look different. We're called to act different. And there's something about our difference in this world, our uniqueness that gives opportunity for God to minister and do what he wants to do, for people to see through our life that we're different. Right. And they're able to see that something's going on with you that's different than what I see in the rest of the world. Listen, the, the, the world doesn't need more people like them. Right. The world's broken and lost, and they know it. Whether they're admitted or not, they know it. Yes. And what they need is someone to point the way. But when we live just like everybody else, we just blend into this world and act like everyone else in this, in this world does. Something is lost for the kingdom. Something is lost to, to, relative to the glory of God, relative to the transforming work of God being done in this world. We can't live like everybody else. We're called to be different. We're called to go against the flow. Now, I'm not talking about being weird to be weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being different so that people see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Being different, living by the standard of the word of God rather than the standard of what is socially acceptable in the world that we live in today. We're called to be a peculiar people. Peculiar, that, that word means a couple of things. First of all, it means that it, it speaks to belonging. You know, if you made Jesus Lord of your life, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to God. And because you belong to God, you belong to his kingdom. You're part of a different kingdom. You're so, so if you are part of that kingdom, you gotta live according to that kingdom. That's different. That's going to be different than the world around you. 
Peculiar also means that you represent something or someone. So you're called to represent that kingdom in this kingdom, to represent a different standard, to represent a different way of living, to represent a different model, to represent right standing and righteousness with God. That's what Noah did. And that's what we're called to do. It also means this. It means that you have characteristics. Peculiar means you have characteristics that sometimes seem strange and unusual. In contrast to what's usual in the world, you live and look in a different way. And it stands out as different. You're called to be different. So listen, this morning, if you find yourself living in this world and people are looking at you and they're going, you're different. Yeah. If people even look at you sometimes and they go, man, you're crazy. Yeah. No one acts like this. No one else is doing this. Let me just tell you, you are in good company. Because yeah. you are in company with the people in the Bible who stood out by faith. And you are in good company with the one who was greater than all others, yeah. Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says this about Jesus. Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family. Who was it? Family. His family. His family. His family. This is his family. Right? When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, check this out, he is out of his mind. Jesus, his own family, was looking at him going, dude, you're crazy. What are you doing? You're losing it. You know, Jesus' brothers didn't even come to believe in him as a Messiah until after he died on the cross. Jesus was looked at in his own family as being different. And we are called to live at a different standard. We are called to live in a different way. And it's from that place that we're able to step into the favor of God. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're too comfortable in the world that you're living in today, if the world looks at you today and goes, man, you are, you are right along there with us. You are doing it wrong. We're supposed to look different. And it's from that difference that we step into the favor of God. In fact, it says this, Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, this is the first occasion in Scripture where we see that word grace. What's grace? The unmerited favor of God. He found this grace. He was able to receive something he didn't deserve. How did he receive it? By faith. What was grace? There's a flood coming, but you don't have to be a part of it. You can be redeemed. Put your faith in that. So here's the word of God. There's salvation for you. Put your faith in it. Build what I'm asking you to build and you'll be redeemed. Amen. This is what, how it works for all of us. There's grace. The grace is the cross. Jesus has made that possible. We receive that by faith. We build what God wants us to build. And through his grace, we're saved. And then we can begin to build his kingdom. We can build something that can preserve our family, that can preserve the world, that can save people and, and bring them out of the destruction that is to come. This is the grace of God. Noah was different, and you're called to be different. So embrace your difference. Sometimes my kids come to me, and they'll tell me, Dad, everybody else is doing this. Well, why can't we do this? Because we're different. You're an alien, kid. Get used to it. And your difference is going to make you stand out in this world for the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing we see in the life of Noah. Noah was quick and patient. Noah was quick and patient. He was quick to, to take God at his word, to believe and obey, but he was also patient to endure until completion and walk faithfully to the word God had given him and finish the assignment God gave him. Oh, church, there's a lot of people who are quick to get excited about things of God, and then they jump into it, and when it doesn't go their way, they bail. It's not just being quick to obey. It's being patient to endure. Because let me just tell you, even when you're obeying God, there's going to be things that come against you. There's going to be storms and floods that try to rise up. And it's, it's being patient to endure until the end, to finish and complete the work that God has called you to do. God hasn't just called you to start a race. He's called you to finish your race. We've got to be quick. And yes, we've got to be patient. Look at this, verse 13. See a description here of what God's inviting Noah to do. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Notice that. I will wipe them all out according, uh, along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with pitch inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put on a door on the side. Build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood and destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. Now, as I'm reading that, how many of you are going, that's a lot of stuff there? Like, it's almost like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. But look at verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. 
Noah immediately began to move, and, and based on the word, he began to, by faith, obey. He steps out. Now understand, this task, just like reading that seems a little overwhelming, this task was overwhelming. This ark, this, this thing was huge, what God was inviting him to do. A 400, this thing was a football field and a half long. It was a half a football field wide and almost that, that tall. It was massive. And God noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, but God didn't say, hey, I want you to build this boat and I'm going to send a bunch of monkeys to help you do it. Like, like the Disney version where all the animals start showing up and helping him build the ark. Like that's not how it went. He didn't even have other people other than his sons. And that's why it took him 120 years to get this thing done. 120 years. Some of you are going, man, I've been waiting on God like six months. This is getting old. Why do I have to wait so long? 120 years of enduring patience to complete the assignment. And also understand this. This assignment was overwhelming in a sense that he didn't even fully understand it. Like it says this in Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith Noah being divinely warned about things not yet seen. What had he not yet seen? The flood which was to come, but even the concept of a flood. Before this, it had never rained in the world. The world was watered by water that would rise up from the depths. So the idea of rain, the idea of a flood, this is an alien concept to him. You know what else was an alien concept to him? A boat. He lives hundreds of miles away from the ocean. He has, he's probably never even seen a boat before. So there's a lot that he doesn't understand. There's a lot that he cannot see in the natural. But he's not moved by what he can't see. He's moved by what he knows. Remember what we talked about last week? Faith is not about the unknowing. We know. We know who God is. That's why we got to know who God is. Because as we know who God is, we learn his character and his nature. But then we can move by faith. It's not about the unknown. It may be about the unseen. You may not see some stuff in the natural. God may ask you to step out into some stuff that you don't fully understand. But what you know is who God is and that he will be faithful with you to help you to do what you're called to do. If you missed this the first time, I'm going to give you another opportunity to write it down because this is very important and this is very thematic to what we're talking about today. If you're going to walk by faith, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. The Bible says that we live by faith or we walk by faith and not by sight. So, so let me just tell you something. If, if you think like your walk with God, if you're basing that on, I got to understand everything perfectly. I got to know it all. Before I'm taking any steps, I have to have it completely laid out before me. I have to see it all. I have to understand it all. I have to get it all. If that's how you're basing your walk with God, let me just tell you, you will not be able to walk by faith. Now, I'm not saying we don't use godly wisdom and look for godly counsel. We absolutely do that. But it's not all, you're not going to have every T crossed and every I dotted every time. There's going to be times that when you're walking by faith, it's not always going to be laid out for you perfectly. But what is laid out for us perfectly is who God is, his nature and his character and his heart and his love. And so by that, we move, not based on what we can't see. Faith says, God has told me, so even though I don't have all the details, I'm going to trust God with what I know about him and what I believe he's telling me to do. Noah was quick and he was patient. It says this in verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, look at this, moved with godly fear. Now that, that, that phrase, godly fear, doesn't mean that he was building the ark like concerned that he was going to be flooded. God had told him he was going to save him. He wasn't afraid that if he doesn't do this, God's going to smite him. That, that word godly fear means he had a reverence for God. He had a reverence for God. And, and that, in, 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 the, in this context, it meant that he had this reverence that empowered him to, to walk counterculturally in the world that he was living in. Noah counterculturally obeyed God out of reverence. Noah had this reverence for God. And because he had a reverence for God, he had a reverence for the word of God. So when God gave him a word, he was able to obey that word because he respected and honored and recognized who God is. Now, there's this interesting paradox that we have with our God. Jesus talked about it when he was teaching people how to pray. He says, you're, you're to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And he says, he, so he starts off by saying, he's your father. And God wants you to relate to him as a father, as a good father, that there's a relational intimacy that we can have with God, that he wants us to see him through. 
But he also says that his name is to be hallowed. That means his, he's, he's set apart like, like no one else. That we recognize there's no one like God. There's no one who has power like God. There's no one who has wisdom like God. He stands alone. He is separate and, and stands alone in power. In all of the universe, there is no one that compares to him. There's no one that comes close to him. So we recognize his greatness and his glory and his might and his knowledge and his wisdom. We see all that, but we also see all that through the lens of this father. That he is this father that we can intimately walk in. That we can crawl up into his lap and be close to him. And understanding this paradox, living within this paradox, is so powerful for you because, because it's out of this paradox that you recognize that God is powerful enough to do anything, but he's personal enough to do it for you. He's powerful enough. He can do anything you need done, but he's your father, and he loves you, and he's personal enough that he will do it for you. And it, it, So we need, we need to live in this place. Noah came to recognize that God was this this amazing God and, and he was powerful and he was loving. And so he was willing to walk in patience, walk in faith, to be quick and to do what God was asking him to do. Now, here's what I know for every person in this room. At some point in your life, God's going to invite you to do something for him. And it's going to feel about as big to you as building an ark felt to Noah. And so when we find ourselves in that place, maybe you're there today. Maybe you recognize something God's inviting you to do. What do we do when we find ourselves in that place? Here's what we do. We go out and we start chopping down trees. We start doing one obedient step at a time. You know, it's interesting. I was studying this week. One of the first things that Noah began to do when God gave him this idea of, planting, of building this ark out of these cypress trees is he started planting trees. It was going to take him 120 years to build this ark. So he planted trees that day that would grow, that would be the timber that he would build the ark of years down the road. Isn't that amazing? So here's a question for you. God's put something big on your heart. What are you chopping down? And what seeds are you planting? What needs to be chopped down? And what, need, what seeds need to be planted? And when God at 17 years old called me to pastor, he gave me a big vision. And just so you know, we haven't fulfilled it yet. There's a lot still yet to be done at New Song Church. God gave, us a hu- gave me a huge vision for what he wants to do here. And so what do I do? I, I can't make all that happen in a moment. What I can do is I can start chopping down trees and I can start planting seeds. So that's why we value our children's ministry like we do, because we're planting seeds. We're planting seeds in a generation, and those seeds are going to produce fruit, and it's going to be the strength of this house in the days to come. And we're chopping down trees. We're helping people to step out of the problems that they have and step into the life that God's called them to. And as we do that basic stuff that God's put in front of us, he builds the house. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. So we're not laboring in vain. We're doing what God's inviting us to do. Are you with me? This is a good preaching this morning. Noah was different. Noah was different. He was quick and he was patient. So what do you need to do today? What's the one obedient step that God's inviting you to today? What do you need to chop down? What seeds do you need to plant? Noah was different. Noah was quick and patient. Here's number three. Noah was bold. And in case you didn't write it down the first time, and just in case you didn't write it down the second time, let me repeat this for you one more time. If you're going to walk by faith, get comfortable with uncomfortable. There's going to be times that walking in boldness in the assignment God's inviting you to do, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Don't you know that Noah felt uncomfortable sometimes as he's building this boat with no water around him in a culture of people who don't even know what a boat is used for? And he's building this massive boat. Don't you think there's probably people going, what are you doing, dude? You're weird. This is dumb. Noah was different. And let me just tell you, in this world, there's going to be people looking and go, what are you doing? This is weird. This is dumb. Will you still be bold? Noah had a reverence for God, and he highly esteemed God, and that led him to walk in boldness with God. So, so what could Noah do? Here, here's what's interesting. Noah was bold enough to do what he could do, but he was also bold enough to trust God with what he couldn't do. And that's, it's important for you to understand what God's inviting you to build He's not asking you to build it alone. He's inviting you to do the part you can do. And, and when, as you do the part you can do, God will come alongside that and he'll do what only he can do. As you do the natural, take the natural steps, he comes along with the supernatural. So there's certain things that Noah could do, but there's certain things he couldn't do. But he was bold enough to trust God with what he could do and release into God's hand what he couldn't do. So what could Noah do? He could build a boat. 
Now that's a big assignment and it was going to take him a long time, but he could do it. And so he did it by faith. He built the boat. What else could Noah do? Well, he could, he could share the message. Like this message God gave him, he could share that message with the world. And that's what he did. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 2, 5. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. Look at this, a preacher of righteousness. So Noah, is, what he's doing is he's building a boat. And then at some point as he's building it, he's going around and he's preaching to people. And here's his message. A flood is coming. There's a flood coming. And people are going, what's a flood? And he's going, I don't know, but it's coming. And it's going to destroy this world. This is his message. And you better get out of this world. And you better get, a, get on a boat. You need to get on the boat or you're going you're gonna to suffer. You're going to die. Now, let me ask you something. Is that a mean message? Like, like, put yourself in his shoes. You find out that there is a cataclysmic event that is coming to this world that is going to bring against sin that's going to destroy this world and everyone in this world. You have that information. Is it mean for you to then go into this world and tell people, hey, you living in this world, this is going to hurt you. You keep living the way you're living. You need to get out of this world. You need to get on the boat because if you stay out here in the boat, you're going to die. You're going to suffer. There's a wrath coming and you need to get out, out of this world and get on the boat. Is that mean? No, that's not mean. What would be mean is having that information and keeping it to myself knowing that there is an event coming, seeing people that are out there living in the world in the midst of that and not going to them and saying, hey, you need a boat. You need, you need salvation. I tell you this today because listen, Jesus is coming back. And, and, and you know, when Jesus came the first time, when he came, he came as a servant. He came to save us and to die for us. He came riding on a donkey. Do you know the second time he's coming? He ain't going to be on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse and he's coming to judge sin. And it's going to be intense. And sin will be judged, church. And like you read Revelation, like there's a flood coming. It's like a flood. It's like a blood flood the next time around. Like this ain't no joke. And I'm not saying that to, to scare you, but I'm saying that to say if you're here today and you're not right with God, the wrath of God is coming on this world. And those who are not saved, you're going to be judged for sin. I'm also saying that to the church to say, hey, wake up, recognize the time in which you're living and recognize there are people out there in the world and they're in trouble and they need help and they need a boat and you're called to be Noah and invite them in to preach righteousness to them. And are they going to like it? Not always. No, they're not because people like their sin. They like living their way. They, they want to be their own God. And so some of these people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're intolerant. You're old-fashioned. You're not approving of me. You're not affirming of me. But listen, there's a flood coming. And me affirming you in your sin isn't going to save you from the wrath to come. Me telling you the truth, which is gospel. Listen, this is not bad news. This is good news. You don't have to suffer the wrath of God. You don't have to suffer the, the wages of sin. Jesus made a way so you could be free. But you have to receive that by faith. We said it last week. I said it last week. It's God's will that all would be saved. None would come to death. It's God's will, but there's people who will go to hell. Why? Because they didn't put their faith in that. You have to receive it yourself. You can't inherit it. You can't have it just because your parents had it. Like you have to own that yourself. Unless the grace of God is received by faith in Jesus Christ, there's a wrath. There's a judgment coming. So you need to leave this place or you'll die. Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, my brethren, bold-hearted men, are always called mean-spirited by cowards. Spurgeon, right? Dude was a beast. People may say, you're mean. But listen, they're just afraid to obey God. We keep preaching righteousness to them. Noah was bold. And it takes boldness to live for the Lord. It takes boldness to say, hey, the way you're going out here in this world, this is, gonna, this is hurting you. This is going to hurt you. This is leading towards disaster. It takes boldness to stand up for what's right in a day and age when very few are. So he could, he could share that message, and he did. He was bold enough to share the message. He was bold enough to build a boat. But what couldn't he do? Well, one of the things he couldn't do is he couldn't get all the animals on the boat. He couldn't do that. Like, Noah can't build this, this ark and then also go around and, like, capture all these animals that needed to be on the ark. So he had to trust God that God was going to send the animals. 
says this in verse 20, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds. Notice that phrase, kinds. Of every creeping thing on, of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. So God says, hey, I'm gonna send you the animals, you keep them alive. I'll take care of bringing them here. And it's interesting as you study this, how God did this. It was kinds, which means not every animal was represented on the ark, but every kind of animal was represented. And out of those animals, there's, there's adaptation. It's why like, you know, you can have a dog like I have, a French bulldog, and it's related to a wolf. And that makes zero sense to me. I don't know how that works. My dog looks like a little pig and it has gas all the time. And somehow that's related to a wolf. I don't get it, but somehow that works. So it was kinds that could produce all the animals that we see in the world today. It's also interesting. They say that most of the big animals came as babies and that there was hibernation that took place as they stepped onto the ark. So, so imagine being Noah. This had to be very confirming when he's working and all of a sudden two baby elephants show up one day and all the animals are getting along. Had to be pretty cool. I was telling Sarah about this, and she was like, it's like precious moments, right? <laughs> 80s kids, we know. But Noah couldn't do that, so God did that. You know what else Noah couldn't do? Noah couldn't steer the ark. There was no steering wheel on the ark. And it's, it's fascinating. You study how God describes to build this ark in it. There's no rudder of any type, no steering mechanism. In other words, God's saying, hey, you just get on the boat. I'll take care of the direction. He also, you know what else God didn't put on the ark? Windows. It says in verse 16, leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around. So there was this little opening right below the roof, but there was no windows. Why? Here, here's why I believe. Because if Noah has a steering wheel and Noah has windows, when the chaos that's going on in the world starts happening, when the waves start crashing and he sees people out there dying and, and maybe some big wave starts heading his way, he's going to try to start steering that thing in his own strength. And God says, hey, take your eyes off what's going on out there and just focus on what I got going on in here. Take your hands off the wheel. I got you. And listen, as I was praying over this message this week, there's some of you need to hear this. Some of you are looking too intently at the world. You're so focused on the chaos and the disaster and all the mess of the world, and you're trying to somehow steer this thing in, in a way to kind of do whatever it is, protect your family, protect... And God's saying, hey, would you just trust me and take your eyes off the world and the chaos out there and put your eyes on who's in the boat with you? Focus on your family. Focus on what God's given you. Focus on the presence of God with you in the midst of the storm. And you can have peace in the boat, even though there's chaos going on all around you. Noah couldn't steer the boat. And he didn't need to. God knew where the boat needed to go. God knows where you need to go. Some of you just need to say, God, I give you control. I surrender to you. Noah couldn't close the door. It's another thing he couldn't do. He couldn't close the door. It says this verse 16 of Genesis 7, a male and female of each kind entered. Just talking about the animals. Just as God had commanded Noah, then the Lord closed the door behind them. So this is, this is really cool. There's this moment where Noah gets on the boat with his family. And just so you know, like, again, we go back to how we've kind of seen this story, right? The cartoon version where Noah, he's out there and he's building the ark, you know, and he's driving in the last nail. And as he's doing that, all of a sudden rain starts to fall on him. And he's like, oh no, it's rain. Ah. And they're, they're freaking out. Family, get on board. They're getting on board. Everybody's getting on real quickly. And they're running on. And then he's ushering the animals in. And they're galloping onto the boat. All this is happening. Because they're trying to escape the flood. That's not at all how this happened. It was probably a beautiful sunny day when Noah got on that boat. He gets on the boat, and then the animals just start getting on the boat. We don't really know how long that took. It could have taken days, weeks. We don't know. But all of these animals get on the boat, and then they're all on the boat. And then all of a sudden, I'm sure Noah probably has this moment where he's going, that door's big. How are we going to close that? It's probably right about that moment that God closes the door. And so now they're all sealed up in the boat and the floods begin to rise and the rain begins to fall. Here's what I want you to see. The wrath, the judgment never touched Noah. The righteous were completely protected from the judgment that was coming onto the earth. He didn't feel a drop of rain. He was sealed up in that, in that boat, protected, saved from it. He and his family were saved. Now, the Bible tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so, at sh so it shall be when the Son of Man returns. And guys, we're living in a day and age where we're seeing this. You look at the world we live in today, 
And man, there's so much compromise. Basic knowledge is being uprooted from the world today. There's a violence that exists in the world unlike any generation. And the, and, and the word says that when you see these things start to happen, it says, look up for redemption. And King James, draweth nigh. Draweth nigh. There's, there, in other words, when you start to see this stuff, get ready because Jesus is coming back. I believe we're living in a generation. We're seeing this stuff happen. Jesus could come back at any moment. We don't know when, but he could come back at any moment. And, and so here, here's, what, here's what we see. The, the, craw, or, or the, the Ark of Noah is this picture of salvation. In fact, if you begin to study this, it's an interesting study. You study Noah and the Ark. There's so many parallels to Jesus and the cross. I mean, one simple one is the, the Ark was built out of wood. The cross was built out of wood. But I think my favorite one is this, Genesis 6, verse 14, God's giving instruction to Noah on how to build this ark. And he says this, waterproof it with pitch. So pitch was this tar-like substance that Noah would spread over the inside of the ark and over the outside of the ark, and it would waterproof this wooden boat so that when the rain came, it would not be able to penetrate, would not be able to get into the boat so, so that the wrath that was coming would not be able to come into the boat. It protected them from what was going on outside, and it shielded them from that. Now, that word uh, pitch, everywhere in the New Testament, that same word is translated as atonement. Atonement. What is atonement? Atonement is what happens when somebody would offer a sacrifice. The blood would atone for sin. Jesus was our atoning sacrifice. Jesus on the cross shed his blood. And when you put your your faith in the grace of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did, what happens? The Bible says that we are now in Christ. What happens? You are sealed up. You are protected. You are redeemed and, and, and sealed up in the work of Jesus on the cross, protected from the wrath and the judgment that is to come. The wages of sin can no longer touch you because of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is our ark. And we are called to be Noah's in our generation. People, we're called to be people who build and invite. We build the kingdom of God in our generation and we invite people into it. And we do it in such a way that the world looks at us and they say, what are you doing? What are you building? And we say, we're just making room in what God's done for you. We're just inviting you in and there's, there's redemption for you. But listen, where you're at out here, there's a wrath coming. There's judgment coming on this. And you need salvation. And if you live out here, the flood's going to hit you. And you're going to be lost. But if you get on the, if you get in the boat, if you come and receive of the work of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. He did a work to atone for your sin, to atone for your mistakes. And you can receive of that. And you can be saved. We build and we invite. And like Noah, we live differently. We go against the flow of this world. We're called to live different. We're called to be a peculiar people. We're called to, to, to live in such a way that the world looks at us and says, what are you doing? This isn't normal because we're not called to be normal. We're called to be aliens in this world to point people to who Jesus is and what he can do in their life. We're called to be, to be quick and to be patient, to quickly obey God, to quickly stand out and, and stand up in faith, but to be patient, to endure and to finish, to complete the work, to finish the race and to be bold, to be bold enough that we're willing to tell people who are lost, who need salvation, who need help, that there is a way, that there's good news for you. You can be saved. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible story of this father, this patriarch of the faith, who was willing to take you at your word and build something that brought salvation. His family was saved because they got on the ark. His wife was saved because she got on the ark. Life was preserved because he was willing to build and invite people into the ark. Lord, we thank you that we recognize as Christians, you've, in, you've called us to, to be people who build and invite. And we thank you, Lord, that it's, it's through our obedience to you and through the, these works that we're able to display the image of God in this world. And so I pray, Lord, that faith would rise up in us to do what it is you've called us to do in this day and age. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. I want to invite our prayer team to come down at this time. I want to encourage you, don't check out right now. This is an important moment.
first of all, if you're here today and, and, and you would say, I, I don't know that I'm right with the Lord. I don't know that I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you to know, first of all, Jesus died on the cross for you. His blood was shed so you can be saved. And you may have made some mistakes. You may have messed up. You may have done a lot of dumb stuff. You may have rejected. You may, be, you may have been stiff-arming the Lord for years, but I want you to know, He's not stiff-arming you. He loves you. And, and the cross, there's a way for you to receive salvation. His blood was shed so you could be saved, so that you could receive of that work that He did and you can be saved from the wrath to come. There is a wrath coming. There is judgment for sin. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And, and we, that's what we all deserve, but Jesus made a way. He atoned for what we did. He took our death that we deserve so we don't have to. So if you're here today and you've never accepted that gift, that free gift of salvation by grace, received it by faith, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've just, you're not living for the Lord. You know today, man, you know you're not right with God. And you feel this tug of the love of God towards your heart saying, hey, come home, come home. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to come down and just pray with one of these guys. We'd love to pray with you. All you have to do is come down and say, hey, I need to get right with the Lord. And we'd love to lead you in a prayer and help you to step into the life that Jesus made available to you, to get out of the flood, get out of that mess, and to step into the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing me talk about this guy Noah, and you're going, man, I'd, I want to be bold. I want to stand up for what's right. I want to be quick to obey and patient, but I just feel like I can't do it. And here's, here's some news for you. You can't. <laughs> But you can do what God's inviting you to do and, and, and invite Him to do what only He can do. Now, here's the great thing. God's given you a helper to finish this assignment called the Holy Spirit. And one of His roles is to give you the boldness to do this stuff, to be bold, to stand up for what's right, to, to walk in faithfulness and complete the work. He's your helper. So maybe for you today, you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You need maybe today to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you. Maybe just come down and say, I, I want that boldness stuff that, that Pastor Josh was talking about. Or maybe you're here today and you just, you just need prayer. Like you got stuff going on. Maybe you're sick in your body. You're struggling financially. You're, you're dealing with some mind battles. You got a sin in your life that's overwhelming you. It feels like this flood is coming against you and you want to, you just need prayer today. Listen, we say this at New Song Church. Those of you who know it, say it with me. If it matters to you, it matters to God. No matter how big or small it may be, God wants to be with you today. And so we'd love to pray with you today. We'd love to join our faith with you for whatever it is that you're believing God for. Would you stand with me, church? I want to encourage you, if, if any of that stuff I talked about, if you feel like that resonates with you, go ahead and start making your way down towards the altars. We'd love to pray with you. Lord, I pray that anyone in this room who needs boldness, who needs salvation, who needs a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit, who needs healing, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help them to step out and receive what it is you have for them by faith in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.